0: We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Hello, podcast listeners. Well, today I have the privilege of having five of the top nonprofit leaders and thinkers in the sector today, and they're gathered with this panel discussion to discuss the state of nonprofits today. This was a fascinating conversation, so much so that not only are we splitting this interview into two episodes, a part one and part two that you'll see, but we all agreed at the end of this discussion that we need to do this again and soon. So look forward to a sequel of this gathering of great leaders to talk about so many important topics. So let me introduce to you my guest today, and then we'll launch right into our discussion. All right. So the guests today, we'll I have five of them. The first is Gail Smith. She is the CEO of the One Campaign that Bono started. Then we have Joan Gary, champion and advisor for nonprofit leaders and founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab. Then we have Allison Moore, CEO of Comic Relief US. Tony Martinetti, a nonprofit podcaster consultant. And then Sarah Lomelin, CEO of Philanthropy Together and TED Speaker. Trust me, you're going to really enjoy this discussion. In fact, I have a feeling you're going to listen to this over and over again, because what is shared here is very, very powerful, and you'll hear how they feed off each other a bit because of their basic collective experience around these various issues that we talk about. So enjoy today's show. Welcome, everybody. This has been something I've been looking forward to for a long time with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. The whole reason I started this podcast, now it's almost five years ago, was to really highlight some of the best speakers and best thinkers in the nonprofit space. And today I've got some really, really special guests. And as we go through this first question, I'll allow them to introduce themselves to all of you. And my guess is many of you have already heard of them. And so we'll get started. Really, the goal for today is to talk about the state of nonprofits today. And I know that's a huge topic, but we've got some great thinkers in the room here, so to speak, in our Zoom room. And we've got a lot of good questions that we want to go through today. So the first question I want to ask is, when it comes to the biggest challenges facing the nonprofit sector, there are many, right? From a trend line of decreasing donors, giving to nonprofits, to the increase in the lot of services nonprofits provide are actually being asked of more. Plus, you add to that staffing shortages, the challenge of attracting and retaining the right staff from other sectors, right? And maintaining both the effectiveness and the efficiency of staff while working from home post-COVID. Well, I'm really glad, again, we've gathered these experts. And so I would like to just start out, I'm going to ask Gail to start this first question off. What are you seeing, Gail, and then for the rest of the group, when it comes to these issues we mentioned at the beginning? What have been some of the biggest challenges and successes in this area so far for you? Gail?
1: Well, thanks. And and it's lovely to be here. I'd say a couple things, and I think we're actually fortunate. Before the pandemic, uh, the One Campaign, which is a advocacy organization that has as its mission ending extreme poverty and preventable disease. We've got offices in nine countries around the world, and we've got functional or global teams, and then we've got country-based teams. Before the pandemic, we did a lot virtually because our teams are spread all over. So that was something people were used to. And I think we found so far, I have to say, it's not been a big challenge. It's actually worked pretty well. And one thing that's great virtually is that you see everybody in an equal box. And when you're in a conference room, the more senior people are more inclined to speak and the more junior people are less inclined to speak. They may be sitting behind, they may be sitting at their table. Valuable because more people speak up. We've been okay on retention. We get a lot of applicants when we've got job openings, so we're pretty good there, but we're relatively small and kind of niche. So I think, again, we've got good fortune on those fronts. We can get to some other challenges as the conversation progresses.
0: That's great. Good to know. Thank you. Joan, could you add anything to that?
2: I often find that discussions about life in the nonprofit sector come from a place of scarcity rather than abundance. And with meaning no disrespect to the framing of your question, right, decreasing donors, hard to find good people. I have to say that I actually, I would push back ever so gently and say that we all have to recognize that the nonprofit sector holds the secret sauce that people are looking for, which is the secret sauce of meaning and purpose. And if the pandemic taught us anything, it taught us that people want meaning and purpose in their lives, whether that means as a volunteer, a donor, a staff member, or a board member. And I just feel that nonprofit organizations are not doing a good enough job of being enthusiastic, effective ambassadors, inviting all of those people to get out of the stands and onto the field. And that if we did that, the kinds of things that you're describing would not be seen as obstacles. Mm -hmm. The last thing I will say is that much of this stems from, in my mind, the risk aversion of nonprofit boards. That nonprofit boards see themselves as having fiduciary responsibilities, which means that they see their jobs as making sure that nothing goes wrong. And if you want to squelch innovation and strategic creativity and entrepreneurship, then come from a place of making sure nothing goes wrong. And so I actually have a very different view of the challenges facing the sector. I think the sector is uniquely suited at this moment in time to capitalize on an opportunity that what I would call the treasure in the darkness of the pandemic to really grab onto people who want what we have.
0: No, thank you, Jen. I love that perspective. No, excellent. All right, let's keep going. Tony, any thoughts on that? Either you want to agree with Joan or any other thoughts from your perspective, what you're seeing in New York? Yeah,
3: Joan was beautifully big picture, I, I think, and, and, and lots of important points. I'm, I'm going to be a bit more tactical, but first, hey, everybody. Thanks for being with us. And Rob, thank you very much for hosting. I'm, I'm honored to be with you all. My advice around my thinking around you know this topic is professional development. I would I, I I think our our professional development investments and some folks even think of it just you know spending. I prefer to think of it as an investment in our in our people, and I, I'd like to see professional development prioritized more. I think that will I think that will bring a, a, a greater loyalty to 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 the folks who are who are doing the hard work on the ground and and it, and it certainly helps them see how they contribute to the mission which like joan was you know joan was alluding to how important the mission is and, and you know grounding in in the in the work that we're doing so i'd like to see investments in professional development and and i think that bleeds over into some of the some of the other topics we're going to talk about too and like you know assessing your talent knowing what you've got Moving people from within, you know, prioritizing moving up versus hiring from outside, which is not to say that hiring from outside is always bad. I'm not saying that, but prioritizing, moving people up, assessing that talent that you've got, you know, succession planning, professional development.
0: I like to see investments in those areas. Love it. No, great. Love the tactical side to that. All right, Sarah. Sarah is joining us from a long way away uh, on a wonderful bus with great people. Uh, tell us about where your thoughts are. What are you seeing in your neck of the woods?
4: Thank you, Rob. And I'm so happy to be here with all of you. Again, I'm Sarah lomelin I'm the CEO of Philanthropy Together and I get the privilege to work with everyday givers, right? Around the world with people that are part of giving circles and collective giving groups. And, you know, for me on, on my side of the, of the world, what I see it, is more about you know a challenge around member engagement, and I agree with every single word that everybody has said. You know, Joan, especially you, it's like it's time to see this you know with an abundance mindset, and I see that you know uh, the last few years have been tough, and people are reclaiming their time. People are taking more time right now to to heal to see that there is some challenges around member engagement in terms of giving circles. But at the same time, one positive side of this is that there is no geographical barriers anymore, right? We are an organization that got started at the beginning of the pandemic. So we always were built as a virtual organization. And with our audience, a lot of our audience were not very tech savvy, you know, before the pandemic. And suddenly, you know, two months into COVID, everybody needed to learn how to use Zoom. Even if, you know, my mom had never used email or Instagram or social media, nothing. And suddenly she needs to, you know, learn how to, to, to use Zoom to be in touch with her friends from school, from, you know, her cooking class. So that has been an incredible positive way of, you know, that I have seen in nonprofits. There is no geographical barriers anymore, and you're able to engage an online community beyond your, you know, your your local community to ask for support
0: well said. And it's so true, isn't it? How we have all adapted so quickly. And even people that didn't previously, like you said, use much technology. Everyone just said, we need to now. That's the new world we live in. So very well said. All right, Allison, the last one in this first initial question. What are you seeing when it comes to these issues that were listed at the very beginning of the show?
5: Thank you, Rob, for having me. And thanks. It's so good to see everybody's face here and be in conversation with you guys today. God, I'm trying to piece together a succinct way to sort of explain over the last the sort of, you know, the roiling last three years. But you know, for just from a baseline, Comic Relief, you know, we leverage the power of entertainment and engagement and partnership. And we do kind of, you know, we're both a fundraiser and a funder. And on the fundraising side, we drive awareness and, and raise funds from everyday donors, like people, individual one, five, 10, $20 donations. That's the lion's share of how we kind of fundraise and, and all to support our vision of a just world free from poverty, but or a specific lens, right, really on solving intergenerational poverty or specifically breaking the cycles of intergenerational poverty. So in being a fundraiser and a funder, the kind of construct of our work is that we have a, a lot of partner engagement individual donor engagement and almost in a very marketing sense, you know, when you light up the halls of Walgreens or an NBC or at eBay or an around any of that kind of stuff is really talking to individual donors. And that involves a lot of that celebrity and talent engagement, you know, and getting folks to kind of come on board, feel connected and feel associated with what we do. And then of course, you know, on our funding side, we have over 40 grants, grantee partners that we, you know, work with shoulder to shoulder very tightly. And so in when COVID happened, when the Global pandemic happened. We all receded to Zoom. I think there were some of those things you found benefit, right? Amazing how many celebrities, and you know, I'm sure Gail, you th- saw this too, were like, sure, I'll phone in for something for my bathtub. I mean, you know, with all the right <laughs> sure <laughs> protection line there, but there was a nation to do something with them, you know, frankly, and partners with such a high dependency on partners. I mean, oh, retail store traffic sure dropped down in the beginning of COVID and March of 2020 and 2021, right? Just dynamics and changes happened at all those organizations in their own right with their own reasons and all that kind of stuff. So dealing with that variability, but on the same point on our grantee partners, what it was and moments of particularly in the time of crisis to say, how can we match and map to what it is that you need now, you know, and really inform some of what happened in our, our grant making lens, you know, and how we would approach the work and how we would approach the work and we're going to start kind of like drive our funding strategy. So a lot of good things, you know, from the, I'm going to call the the work, if you will, and what we do every day. But as a team, it was, you know, we were working in you know, office every day, five days a week like everybody else, and then went into Zoom. And I think it had some benefits. I think what Gail said, there there was definitely a de-leveling that went on, which I think is positive. And so this could be heard in a different way. But I think over time, what became as a benefit to the equalizer also became, in some way, a, a suppressor. Suppressor, because that linear you have in that meeting, and that's the only engagement that you have. You turn off that that you know Zoom, you're in your own echo chamber, you know. And I think what we started to really is that all of the control periphery of building an organization, right? The whole, even the stuff that you're like, hell, what was that meeting about? You know, or lost like person, or the meeting—it, you know, the meeting between the meeting when everyone goes to the bathroom or some—all that. I mean, that those are functional things, but even like the culture building and just the siege of humanity, because these screens don't do that. They don't do that, and they certainly don't do that for two years on end. So we've brought folks back, and you know, we did a lot of things. You know, really focused on culture. I have an amazing head of HR who just, you know, that and her team that just we really think about that and like you know we're doing things offsite together or like thinking about our benefits package a little bit differently like we had to really that really informed how we are going to change our approach number of days off all the things but we also you know we really invested in our and I know we're going to talk about this a little later our DEI work in a much more material way because i think what was revealed certainly through the global pandemic and the pressures that went in there, but then having to engage this kind of zoom tool and then the murder of George Floyd and the social justice issues that raised in culture that really raise in internal culture to kind of understand dynamics of, you know, thinking about, all right, what is our kind of multicultural environment and thinking about Diversity, equity, inclusion on an everyday basis, and how do we build that in culture when we're all sitting here in screens too? So we we unpacked a lot of work during that time, and just finally, I'll say, you know, over the last, I guess it's been about, I guess it's been almost a year that we've been back together, hybrid. So two days a week in office, we're going to move that to three days a week later on this year after the summer. Everyone's here at the same day because we it's a creative organization. We need to see each other, like you know, talk and. I have to say, you know, and we we have a new office, which is great, you know, which has been great. And that kind of helps the camaraderie and kind of teamwork, teamship. And it's, I think it's it's done good things for us culturally. And we have the Mondays and Fridays are off, you know, everyone, all that kind of stuff. And we utilize Zoom and just mess at it. But it's, I, I think to Joan's point, it's not, you know, we went to the same pressures everyone else did, but it, I don't think it was any different in a nonprofit in many ways. We're nimble and we're used to kind of like pivoting and having to get stuff done because we have to. And I, you know, came out the other side. All right. Still work, but has to do it. That's right.
0: No, thank you, Allison. Well said. I love, and thank you for sharing all those different things, the practical things you're seeing every day. All right, so moving on to donors, what have you experienced lately when it comes to both attracting and retaining donors? And I had a guest on my show previously that had this great phrase I continue to use about how do we as leaders future-proof our fundraising? So Joan, maybe you could speak to that. Talk a little bit more about what you're experiencing. What are you seeing in terms of the attracting and retaining of donors and then the whole idea of future-proofing our fundraising as we look forward?
2: I really think that it is time for us to really understand that at the heart of fundraising is storytelling. And that if we do not build a culture of storytelling in our institutions, our fundraising efforts will not be future-proofed. And that we spend an awful lot of time nagging our boards to open their contacts and find wealthy, or I like this phrase, wealth-adjacent people that can be served up to ask for necessary resources. I would rather have us see, for the long haul, see us begin to reframe boards as ambassadors who are in the invitation business, who are storytellers. I believe that... I believe that a credible messenger plus a compelling story equals a new stakeholder. And that if we reframe it that way, board members actually see their obligation quite differently. They see themselves as enthusiastic champions of the organization who will talk to a wealthy prospect or a cashier at a supermarket just as readily. and. So I believe two things. One, storytelling, building a culture of storytelling. And that actually starts on staff. I, as a board member, must be fueled with current sticky stories that I could easily share on my social media with a donor, with a donor prospect, with a board prospect. I have to have the goods in my back pocket. And then the second piece of the puzzle is stewardship that I believe that every board member should have a portfolio of donors. I think it's a great way to level the playing field when someone joins a board who does not have capacity or does not know people who have capacity, so that you can have, for example, a give-get, and some people who don't have capacity or access to it are given a portfolio of folks to nurture all through the year, and that relationship could, in fact, lead them to renew, or upgrade that donor at the end of the year. It's about, to me, bottom line, it's about storytelling. It's about fueling the the staff and the board to be terrific storytellers, to understand that they are ambassadors to seeing the good news about your organization. And it's about nurturing them every step of the way. Far too often, I see development officers who put together budgets every year And they say, we're going to raise this amount of money. And nobody on the board ever asks, what's the retention rate on your current donors? Right? That's a very important statistic. Are folks staying with you? And I believe that the organization, our organizations don't do a good enough job of nurturing and building and sustaining those relationships over time.
0: No, we'll put really appreciate your insights on that. Tony, what else would you add to that? What, you, what are you seeing when it comes to attracting and retaining donors and future-proofing our fundraising? Yeah, I want to coalesce the, the three points that Joan just made into uh, a fourth.
3: So she was talking about storytelling and stewardship and retention. And I believe it's all putting those together. Certainly not, and this is not a divergence, this is like coalescing them into my message is relationships, Relationships, relationships. You have got to be good to the folks who are your donors, your potential donors, relationships with your staff. Even I'm not only talking about those who are support you and those you're serving as well, you're the beneficiaries of your work, but all those folks. You know the the stewardship of all those folks because you want to retain all those folks. You want to retain your volunteers, the staff. As, as you're in, hopefully, as I was saying earlier, investing in them, investing in their professional development. So I think it's about all manner of relationship, you're empathetic with you. people, curious about That's a great one, I think, curiosity about people. It's a genuineness. I, I really want to know, what, tell me a little more about that vacation, or you're making a move, or you're, you're, your partner is making a move. That's it's enormous in your life. Tell me more about that. You know, and I don't know whether you're talking to somebody who works for you or somebody who's on your board or supports you in some other way. I think the relationships are key, that genuine empathy and, and curiosity about people will take your relationships very far.
0: Oh, I love that. That emphasis on relationships can never be said enough because that is so critical, Tony. Well said. Let's go to you, Gail. What would you add to this discussion?
1: I agree with what's been said, and I think storytelling is vital, the stewardship, both of the ways that the past speakers have described. I would add one thing to it I call the nugget. We're an advocacy organization, right? We don't, we don't run clinics. We, don't, we try to mobilize people's voices to influence decision makers in positions of power to get real tangible outcomes, more money, better policies, right? tangibles, but advocacy feels squishy to me. So I think always having the nuggets to me are the ROI. How do you explain that if you invest in the one campaign, these are the outcomes you get? And here are a couple of examples. It's just key to have in the back pocket. But I think going up to twenty, thirty, forty thousand I look at the sector and I I have been in and out of the sector. I kind of in my life have gone from being in government to then being in the nonprofit sector, then to governmental nonprofit sector. And a couple of observations that, that I would make. I think one of the things that's really challenging, and it gets to Joan's point on risk aversion at any level, is that funding for nonprofits is a story of volatility. If you look right now, for example, we're seeing less funding overall available to the sector. But we're seeing funders switch, switching accounts, right? And and certainly that's everybody's prerogative, whether it's philanthropy or individuals or anyone else on donor retention is absolutely key. But even if you've got a core of donors, that you've got really good retention, I think it's very hard for nonprofits across the sector to have enough confidence in sustained financing to think long-term and strategic as to the sector. Is forces a mindset where the thinking is more tactical than strategic. So, at a moment like this, when for the nonprofit sector has never been greater, whether it's in terms of services, threats to democracy, the world just as a PF is kind a train wreck. Like right, right now, there's a lot of danger out there. Thinking out a year or two is constraining, as opposed to thinking out. Where do we need to go in the next five or 10 years? Using an example from one's history, one was very involved in global debt relief for poor countries. That was a seven-year campaign, right? If it's services, if you are providing services and you want to expand those services, you've got to know that from year three to year four, you're going to be able to increase funding incrementally. So I think one of the, the, I've been thinking about this a lot. It's like, how do you, foster long-term strategic thinking and deep thought about social change if you're kind of gone year to year, year to year, year to year. One of the things I think we don't do and there maybe fora for doing this, I think there needs to be more discussion among nonprofits and then more discussion between the sector and some of the big funders in this sector and in the media and in other fora. Because I think the sustainability of nonprofit funding is absolutely key. And I'm looking, for example, in Washington, D.C. right now, at a number of nonprofits that people who are falling off the edge depend on, and they are suddenly finding that funding is switching to other areas, and they're all good areas. But how do you run an organization for homeless people in D.C.? They have... You're high on everybody's list for a couple of years, and then you're not the flavor of the month. How do we solve that problem? And I, I think it's really, really urgent because nonprofits are filling gaps—political, social, service, rights-based—that we can't afford to wiggle, wobble around on. Right. So, so I think we need to do more to come together as a sector. And and whether it's Joe, I liked your. Language on the Secret Sauce of Purpose and Mission, I think he said. We've got to figure out how to market that as, as more of a thing. This is a big sector, but I think we often speak as individuals. We are a big, powerful sector. And if you look in the United States, for example, how many Americans are represented by a collective of nonprofits? That's a lot. And I don't think we use our collective power to secure our own future alone.
2: Yeah, I, if I may, I just think that it's almost as if this—it's almost as if the sector needs to be rebranded. Yes, right. Is the that profit is not a like? What does that mean? Right, I'm not. That sounds like a failure. Well, and just to, to think about it is—is is to rebrand it for the, the the driver of the economy that it is to rebrand it as something other than. Those really nice people who help other people. The do-gooders. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I, I feel like it's, as a result, it becomes the hidden gem. And like, I don't believe there are any gems that are hidden.
3: But there's more now about you know, social change, social impact, social impact organization. You know, uh, I, I, I agree, Nonprofit is not a great moniker. It just happens to have been around a long time. Everybody recognizes it. But you, you, so I'm not saying it's going away. We could argue whether it should or not, but I don't, I don't think it is. But you do see, you know, more, more, more positive facing terms, like like social. Hate.
5: But I would, you know, I I think that's true. But I think the definition has been diffused and you know where it used to be core now you have you know major brands who are kind of doing you know percentage of profits that are going up and to an end donor whether it's an individual kind of small contributor or large contributor too, the the idea of where you can make that social impact happen it's the playing field is just so much broader that sort of in that movement i think nonprofits for all the it's just like it's a it's a poorly branded subcategory in the sector that is now includes lots of different kinds of things. And I don't know, I think there it need it's in need of some I mean that sounds but some branding help and communication and strategy help because it's even the term to everyone's point, nonprofit. It's like, really? Okay. Well we'll go talk to we'll make profits. As
1: opposed to something successful that makes money. Yeah. We we, right. we don't make any money.
5: Right.
4: Yeah. We need a big marketing campaign for sure for everybody. But I would you know, I totally agree with what everybody has said, and I want to add a couple of new things you know to the to the minute. And one is trust. I mean, Tony, you have been talking about relationships, and in order to build relationships with everyone, right not only your donors but your staff, your the, the people that you serve, your everybody around you you need to build instead of you know before is human connection, right? We always said you know in the in the collective giving field, it's like The moment you see your organization that you are supporting, your staff member, to the eyes, as individuals, as you would see a family member, not the other. We need to start, stop othering other people. And you look at each other as a family member, things change and magic happens. And the same, you know, with your donors. We need to, to listen more to donors and donors need to... to to listen more to the nonprofit sector. And at the same time, as nonprofits, we need to diversify our base. I am told that there is so much focus right now on just focusing to the big gifts, to the high net wealth individuals, right? I know that many nonprofits don't have the capacity. They're 24 hours in the day. You need to go after the big dollars. But guess what? If you lose, if you just focus on the big dollars and the big gifts and you lose one of them, you are in a lot of trouble. You are in a lot of trouble. You, We need to focus on on building a big, you know, ecosystem of supporters for organizations. Right? Because it's not only about moving the money. People give in so many different ways. And that's the other thing. When when I hear about this generous crisis, no, maybe people are not giving To the traditional ways that they used to give, but people are giving talent, are giving time, are giving testimony, ties. So we need to start also banking on that, right? And, And 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 in that, and it's not only because the amount of money that we will be moving, but it's because it's crucial to the fabric of our society. What are we going to do if we stop? You know, caring about engaging. the the smaller gifts, the everyday givers, we're going to have a generation of people that are completely indifferent to the challenges and the causes of local communities. So two things, trust and diversification.
0: Well, that's the end of part one of this fascinating conversation I had with these great leaders. Tune in next week for part two. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast.